0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past.
1: I would have been more outspoken, I think, even than I was. My personality is not a uh, divisive one, but I think my ideas were and were meant to be, and I would probably have been even more outspoken in my presentation of those ideas. Former Senator and presidential
0: candidate Gary Hart. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. As many others of his generation were, former Colorado Senator Gary Hart was inspired to get into politics by John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, and other political leaders of the 1960s. By 1972, Hart had established himself as a rising star in the Democratic Party. He ran George McGovern's unsuccessful bid for the presidency that year. Two years later, Hart ran for U.S. Senate from Colorado and won. He was re-elected in 1980, but he had his sights set on higher office. He ran for president in 1984, narrowly losing the nomination to Walter Mondale, and he ran again in 1988, until his candidacy was done in by allegations of sexual misconduct. I had the chance to interview Gary Hart several times in the 1980s and 90s, including the interview you're about to hear. Hart had just written a book reflecting on his years as someone who tried to be a political reformer. Now, for context, this interview was conducted less than six months after Bill Clinton was sworn in in his first term. So no one, including Gary Hart, knew exactly what was going to be happening. So here now from 1993. Gary Hart.
1: Reformers are always bound to fail. It's a question of failing better or failing worse. The country is set up with um, such barriers to change that... Um, major reforms are always introduced, then debated, and then some crisis comes along and usually adopted. And you say the reformer's task almost never
0: succeeds during his lifetime. Well, active active political lifetime. But still, is reform best carried out, though, in time of crisis?
1: Yes, I think so. Uh, The two major reform eras in America in the 20th century were the early part of the 20th century, most uh, often identified historically with Theodore Roosevelt and the progressive era, and, of course, the, the New Deal era of Franklin Roosevelt, and those were both one way or another times of crises, usually economic or, or international crisis. Are we in such a period of crisis now? I think so, but, but curiously enough, this is another barrier to reform. Uh, these crises, and there are a number of them, are less visible, and they are, we are buffered uh, from them, by the success of the New Deal. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all the other programs, unemployment compensation, take the edge off a crisis and it, and it doesn't seem as bad as it is. And we've also, I think, managed to, to, to hide uh, social injustice in this country. It's awfully hard to see the, the one million uh, children additionally added to poverty under Ronald Reagan. We, unless they're out on the streets begging, we just don't see them. And even if they are on the streets begging, we probably won't see them. We probably won't see them or walk around them.
0: It, it, it strikes me, though, that, that it must be a very frustrating task to know that there is reform that is needed, to even be able to see what that reform should be, and all around you to have either Pollyannas or or blinders or people who walk past the homeless and say, no, oh, no, everything's fine, everything's fine, don't, don't change anything, it works.
1: Well, I think that's true, and that's what this book is really about. Uh, it's it sounds more personal than it is and it, to a very limited degree it is autobiographical and i reflect on the frustrations of the 80s and seeing not not the just the triumph of, of uh, unjust reagan programs but the capitulation of so-called leaders of my own party and it causes anger it causes frustration it causes uh, the crankiness that i characterize myself and other reformers as
0: does a reformer, by definition, though, have a, a short lifespan? I mean a yes. reformer is probably not going to get
1: reelected too often, is he? <laughs> not if you do do your job, Ted Kennedy once said, and I agree with him wholeheartedly that if you do your job in public life, you w- should never get you will never get reelected with more than fifty five percent of the vote and quite often I think it's, um uh, it 's that you won 't get reelected at all and I think also I have a chapter in here on careerism. I think one of the barriers to reform is that politicians come into office and want to stay in office and so they compromise and accommodate instead of staking out hard uh, positions or firm positions and sticking with them so they'll they'll take their positions and then compromise back from those just so they can stay in office knowing now what you know now if you'd known then <laughs>
0: i phrased that poorly if you'd get known if you'd known then what you knew now would you have I don't know. Would you have done anything politically different? Would you have decided? I, curious, would you decide to blend in? Or? No.
1: Well, curiously enough, I'd probably be even have been more. Uh, I hate to use the word radical because it summarizes kind mm. of um, a, a, a crazy person in our society. I would have been more outspoken, I think, even than I was. I my personality is not is not a um, what should I say divisive one, and. But I think my ideas were, and were meant to be, and I I would probably have been even more outspoken in my presentation of those ideas. But uh, but I ran. I was often asked in '84 and beyond why why I ran for president, and a good part of it was frustration at not getting, being able to get things done in the Senate. Do you think most Americans understand what you put forth in the book that? A democracy like ours requires
0: periodic
1: reform to
0: stave off revolution.
1: Yes, I think they do, instinctively. They may not be able to articulate that case or give historic reference, but they do understand it, and I think, frankly, it is that very phenomenon that's causing the creation of the potential for a third party in this country. Would that third party be able to actually reform anything,
0: though, or would it simply join the chorus uh, that everybody uh, of, of the career politicians and just fit right in?
1: don't know. It depends on who the leader was. If there is to emerge one, I don't think it's Mr. Perot. With all due respect to him, but I keep hypothesizing that if this movement or or base, which is really at 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 core, uh, one in every five voters in the last election, twenty percent, and perhaps even bigger, perhaps it's a third of the voters, if a Teddy Roosevelt or a Bobby Kennedy or someone like that came along to lead that movement, it could be it could be a serious uh, impact have a serious impact on our society and again like the populist movement lay out a platform that m- might not be adopted by the people and by the congress immediately but over a period of 10 or 15 years perhaps adopted at least somebody to build that signpost out on the edge uh... exactly and force the issue i think i think what's um, i'm and i talk about radicalism i think what is needed now and i think president clinton will come to the conclusion in the next 12 to 18 months what's needed is polarization uh, i know when a society is divided that's a fairly drastic thing to say but i i think the american people have to be forced to make decisions on taxes on deficit reduction on the kind of military we want in the future in the post cold war years what kind of education system we're still as, as you see every day in the congress we're still trying to have it all different ways and it, it's not working anymore well, many people voted for Bill Clinton or for Ross
0: Perot because they wanted change. change. What's the distinction between change and reform?
1: Change is rhetorical; it's a it's a vague abstraction. Reform reforms, properly presented, are specific blueprints. Uh, not just saying we need to. Re- to change the Defense Department, but, but laying out the ways and the, and the very specific kinds of things that have to be done other than deficit reduction. Same is true of our education system. I, I think everybody, if, and I point this out at several occasions in the book, if you say, do you think we ought to change our education system 89%, 95% say yes, you get down to the actual definition of those changes, then you start losing your majorities and that's because we want, we want everything is it as i point out in the book we are people of paradox we want lower taxes more government services we want a strong military but we want to reduce the cost of it we want a good highway system but we don't you know we don't want to pay gasoline taxes and on and on and on and we've just gotten by with that for the post you know the second half of the 20th century because the economy's been growing the economy's not growing anymore and we're going to have to make some hard choices
0: After this short break, what Gary Hart, in early 93, wanted to see in the fledgling Clinton presidency. Now back to my 1993 interview with Gary Hart. Is it cynical for us to think that a politician should, before the election, say change and be vague about it, and after the election say, well, here's the reform that I want to do? Is that, is that
1: I, a cynical it, attitude? It is to me. I always felt it ought to be the other way around, that, that what I tried to do in 1984 was to lay out some specifics, very great detail. The problem I had wasn't with presentation of the specifics. It was how to reduce them to eight-second sound bites. Where's the that beef? Is, uh, where's the beef? Now, that is the other problem, one of the other problems in our society. I describe it in the book as trivialization. We are in an era of kind of silliness. Of of reduction uh, of issues of avoidance of issues of focus on personality, and uh, running away from serious public discourse. And you can't make ba- major changes in society when everything has to be encapsulated uh, in in impossible ways really. in TV commercial sound bites uh,
0: uh, or. Or when the media is bound to determine to reveal something that they think is worth revealing about a a candidate's private life, or
1: creating things, yeah, Uh,
0: it's just. it astounds me how you can come up with ideas that will reform the country and take it in a, in a fresh new direction, and people are either interested only in that eight-second soundbite or finding out uh, where you were last night. Uh, what uh, I don't know. what is uh, What keeps you from being sort of very
1: discouraged and very uh, pessimistic about the whole thing? I don't know. Before, before our discussion here, I was watching a panel of... Uh... Of TV screens, uh, the major networks and others, and two of them were popular talk, so-called talk shows. They weren't talk shows at all. They were both of them, oddly enough, featured strippers. You know, (laughs) at ten o'clock in the morning. I'm saying to myself, who watches these programs? When people condemn their politicians, they voted for the politicians. They are watching this trash on television. Practically (laughs) speaking, what kind of audience did you expect to have for this book? I mean, let's let's be real pragmatic about having, having having. criticized the Geraldo show (laughs) I have to say that I do strongly believe based on experience and evidence that there, there are people in this country who want ideas who want serious discussion who are concerned about their country and who will listen to somebody who talks seriously to them talks to them as adults talks up to them if you will and not down to them and the, the real, it just takes enormous patience, I think, to try to get through the media filters. Um, I must say, programs like this help. I mean, when you get a chance to talk for more than eight seconds or three minutes, um, it all helps. And somebody listens to, to interviews, and, and people do read books. So there is hope. And of course, you were not. As, to re- returning to the beginning, you were not
0: at all a failure. You were just not as, as successful as you had initially hoped you would eventually
1: be. Well, I think that's true. And I, I, I went into the Senate at a reasonably young age. I think as I was about thirty-six, first elective office, and I was, and you know, in many ways, still am very idealistic about. I, I love this country. I think I owe this country a lot. I'm instinctively drawn to public service, not politics. And um, so I probably uh, came into office thinking things could be done quicker than they could. Even after John Kennedy's assassination, Robert Kennedy's assassination, George McGovern's defeat, and a lot of defeats along the way, Martin Luther King's assassination. Uh, this has not been a a happy time to try to govern in this country. But we've we've had some very serious setbacks. But I think there is idealism in the American character. I'm very happy President Clinton's proposing national service, which is a cause I've believed in. I I have been lobbying my former Senate colleagues, including Republicans, to to support this effort. Um, It's not a perfect proposal, but it does go back and pick up the thread of idealism from the early 60s, give young people a chance to serve their country. Very, very important. Well, among the areas that
0: have always been important to you, how encouraged are you with what the Clinton administration is doing
1: in those areas? Very. I th- I think uh, national service is very important. I know the c- conventional wisdom and the pundits are saying in Washington you ought to do one thing at a time. That's really nonsense. You can't govern America one, one issue at a time. You have to not only re- address the agenda you inherited, which was budget deficits and a lot of other problems, uh... over consumption of energy and things but you also have to initiate that's called leadership and whereas washington would like to control you know official washington would like to control things now we're going to talk about the economy and then we will talk about bosnia and then we will talk about something else it ain't the way the world works so i i am um... i'm a big clinton fan big clinton supporter i think given the extraordinary historic coincidence not coincidence but. Occurrence of the end of the Cold War. He has a once-in-a-hundred-year chance to fundamentally redirect this country, and I hope he becomes, is, and becomes bold enough, and um, as I said, in a positive way, polarizing enough to force us to make the changes we need to make. This is how narrow a window of opportunity is this. It's three and a half years now. I mean, it's. <laughs> Uh, he could well be a one-term president. I, I think if he compromises, he will be one-term president. Mm. I think if he polarizes, he, has, he, he could possibly be a one-term president, but a very, very great one. Coming back to something you were saying a moment ago,
0: does he have to first convince us that we are in a crisis? To a degree.
1: I think to a degree, but the evidence is there. I mean, people sense it. Again, this is where this Ross-Pro movement is coming from. There is a frustration with the two-party system. There's frustration with congress and the politicians frustration with traditional politics uh people are either not voting or they're signaling their discontent by by supporting an independent candidate so i think the i think the base is there for major reform in this country it's got to be shaped and and molded and led and directed and educated but uh i i think people do understand there are serious problems they have yet to understand that they can't that all the solutions will not be happy ones
0: In practical terms, what does a reformer do once the reformer has attempted reforms and has been rebuffed and is now in anatomy and now writes books?
1: books And and go on talk shows. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you do anything you can. You give talks. Uh, I talk to groups in Colorado and elsewhere. I'm not on the lecture circuit as such, but I I write articles when invited. Uh, I'm not a I'm not Nixonian in the sense of you know, kind of plotting a continued public career because I don't it's not my personality but this book frankly was not my idea. it was the publishers idea. They wrote last spring and said, will you you know can you do a book on, on why we can't change this country?" So I started out to do that. It turned out a little differently from what they had in mind. I mean they, interestingly enough, the, the request from Random House came in terms of do a book on the quote "culture of Washington. And I thought about it, and I wrote back, and I said, I'd like to do the book, but the problem isn't Washington. The problem is America. You know, Washington is the symptom of America. It's not the cause of America.
0: Gary Hart is 85 now and remains active in public service. And you can find easy Amazon links to Gary Hart's books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, listen to my interview with the man whose presidential campaign Gary Hart ran in 1972 my conversation with George McGovern. Liberalism, to me, means a
1: faith that the federal government should take constructive, positive steps to advance the interests of the ordinary rank-and-file American.
0: And my 1988 conversation with the man who nearly won the 1968 presidential nomination, Eugene McCarthy. I went round the track once against Lyndon and won that. I went round then against robert kennedy and that was a tie and then we had a run against the party so it was the third time around the track and they had to tie a different opponent's every time we went around it's like a pen relay or something and of course we post new episodes here every monday wednesday and friday and you can find now i've heard everything on all major podcast platforms and thanks for listening next time on now i've heard everything conversation with one of the great sports writers of the second half of the 20th century, my 2012 interview with Frank DeFord. Sports is drama. Sports is glamour. Sports is interesting people doing fascinating things with climaxes. People win. People lose. And so there are great stories there. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.